This message comes from NPR sponsor, the Capital One Venture Card. Earn unlimited 2x miles on every purchase. Plus, earn unlimited 5x miles on hotels and rental cars booked through Capital One Travel. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. From NPR. It's from the top. Celebrating the power of music. In the hands of America's kids. Hello, good friends, and welcome to the program. I'm pianist Peter Dugan, and today we're going to celebrate Black History Month with a program that I just know is going to move you, to impress you, to engross you, to make you think, all through the musical contributions that young Black artists have made to From the Top over the years. And speaking of years of artistic contribution to From the Top, today's show is co-hosted by an alum of the show. He's an excellent oboist. He's actually become a producer here at From the Top. His name is David Norville. So cool to have you on the air with me, Dave. Thank you so much, Peter. Well, tell everyone when and where you were on the show. So I was on the show in 2015, episode 315 in Naples, Florida. And you're back now co-hosting today. But being an incredible young black musician yourself, can we first treat you as a performer? Oh, gosh. Sure. Great. Let's journey back in time to your original appearance. You introduced this piece back then in such an entertaining way. My name is David Norville. I'm a 17-year-old oboist from just up the road in Fort Myers, Florida. Before I play with Mr. O'Reilly, I want to tell you why being on From the Top is especially meaningful for me. It's not only because it's awesome to be on NPR and I'm getting an amazing Jack Hancock scholarship, It's because my brother, Ryan, was on the show. Let me explain. See, everything with Ryan since we were just a few years old has been like this huge brother-to-brother, mano-a-mano competition. We'd compete to see who could clean the room the fastest. Done. Darn. Who could get to the finish line first on inline skates. Ryan, you cheated. Even who could brush their teeth the fastest. And I'd never win. I'd challenge Ryan to foot race down the street. He'd beat me. I'd practice Dragon Ball Z, our favorite video game, for literally months in order to win. But nope, Ryan would destroy me. And of course, we were competitive in music. He started playing the flute in middle school, and so naturally, I started the game of music as well. But on the oboe. And then, as I said... Ryan was on From the Top. Young man standing next to me does indeed have a flute in his hand. He's 17 years old, and his name is Ryan Norville. Ryan, you're from Fort Myers, Florida. And this is my point. You see, Ryan was on the show June 4th, 2011, exactly five months, three weeks, and five days after his 17th birthday. But I'm on From the Top today at the age of 17 as well. But get this, only four months and two days after my 17th birthday. So I finally win. Ryan, I bask in my triumph. I'm appearing on From the Top, just about two months younger than you did. (sighs) Victory is sweet. But in all reality, Ryan, I'm completely joking. In fact, I dedicate this performance to you. You were my inspiration when I was growing up. You were my role model. You showed me the way to be a better person, a better, a better student, a better musician. And I, I completely thank you for that. This is the first movement of the Sonata for Oboe and Piano by Paul Hindemith.
David Norville, who was 17 at the time. And how old are you now, David? I am 23 years of age. Indeed. That was you performing the first movement from Paul Hindemith's Sonata for Oboe and Piano with former host Christopher O'Reilly at the piano. And Dave, you play that piece with so much humor. Like you find all of the kind of whimsical qualities of the piece, but then always balancing that out with lyricism at the same time is remarkable. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Well, in addition to being a fine oboist, you're an excellent media producer and director, and a major theme in your work these days has been the empowerment of black musicians. What sorts of things have you been up to lately? Well, I think most recently, I've, I've just now finished uh, a project I was working on with an organization called Cats of Our Skins. Um, in short, it was an intercollegiate fellowship program that brought together eight different black musicians in school in Boston. Um, it was a, a project dedicated to uh, professional development, um, artistic curation, and just being able to connect with just different uh, black music students in the city of Boston. So it was a five-month program, and we just finished uh, our last final um, showcase performance, and it was a really, really rewarding experience. Just one example of all the great work that you've been up to. We mentioned earlier that you've been doing quite a bit of producing for From the Top, and so you've chosen from the archives what performances by young Black artists we're going to include on today's show. And I wanted to ask, what does Black History Month mean to you personally? Wow, yeah. Um, Black History Month for me, I think, first and foremost, about celebration. Um, but I think within that, it's, there's, there are modes of discovery and reflection that allow us to celebrate. I think, you know, almost, you know, every person every February will learn a new trivia fact about, um, you know, said black person from 1886 who created something or invented something that we widely use uh, today. And so for me, mm -hmm. it's just about being able to really think about what those findings and insights mean for me, mean for my colleagues, um, and mean for my, my countrymen, really. Um, but yeah. and it also it's about really being able to say, wow, through adversity, we were able to do X, Y, and Z. And isn't that such a great thing? Um, and so right. that's that's kind of what, we're, what we're, we have in front of us today, just a bit of time to introspect, um, a bit of time to say, wow, they really did that um, and revel sure. at, at, that, at those kinds of stories. Yeah, and today's show is definitely a celebration. And I know we've got a wide range of stories that we're going to hear, a wide range of music. So who's up next? Up next, we have Kese Nanor, 16-year-old at the time, a pianist from Ellicott City, Maryland. Like me, she talked about her family when she was on the program. And in this case, it was her dad. And her dad definitely inspired her to choose the piece that will hear her play. List's arrangement of Vidmung by Robert Schumann. Here's how she described that. Um, yeah, so actually ever since I started playing piano, my dad was always like with me. He would come with me to all of my lessons. Now, more recently, he started recording some of my lessons. And one thing that I really appreciate is um, after I have my lesson, I go back home, I'm practicing like the pieces that I'm working on, yeah. and he'll listen to me practice. He'll sit beside me most of the time, and he'll remind me of stuff that my teacher has said that I may have forgotten. And sometimes when he, drive, when he used to drive me to and from school, he would play these um, CDs of like different um, performing artists and he used to play Evgeny Kissin's album with all these list transcriptions of Schubert and Schumann Lieder and I heard him play this piece and I really just connected with it.
Kiese Nano, 16 years old at the time, from Ellicott City, Maryland, performed Widmung by Robert Schumann, arranged by Franz Liszt. For the last 15 years, From the Top and the Jack Kent Cooke Foundation, have awarded over $3 million in scholarships to talented young musicians who have financial need. We still have more to give. Go to fromthetop.org to learn more. Peter. Thanks, Joanne. Producer, oboist, and From the Top alum David Norville is co-hosting the show with me today as we celebrate Black History Month. Dave selected the excellent Black performers you've been hearing from our archives, and the next performer up is 17-year-old violist Pierce Ellis, who's from Brumall, Pennsylvania. I know Pierce well because I was lucky enough to collaborate with him at the piano, but what do you appreciate about this performance, Dave? Mm. There was this sort of, I guess, inner strength and power that I think came forward in moments mm-hmm. of real conviction, um, but also sensitivity and vulnerability in those sections that required that. And I think what was so impactful about his performance was his ability to pivot on a dime between these two extremes. Yeah, let's hear it. Here we are performing the fourth movement of Ernest Bloch's Suite for Viola and Piano.
17-year-old violist Pierce Ellis from Pennsylvania performing Ernest Bloch's Suite for Viola and Piano, the fourth movement. Peter Dugan here, and I was at the piano. David Norville, my co-host for today's Black History Month Highlights program, is here with me. Man, Dave, one of the things I remember from that performance with Pierce was the joy that he found in just expressing himself and playing that viola. I mean, there were times when he would look over at me in the middle of playing with this huge grin on his face because he was just having a blast doing it. Gosh, that that totally came through the performance. I um, actually want to play a clip of your interview with him. The part where he talks about how he discovered a love for classical music. I mean, I, I found it so interesting that he actually didn't like classical music very much until he ran into Maurice Ravel's Daphnis and Chloe. So, yeah, actually, it's an amazing memory about this piece. I remember it was like past midnight and I was super sleepy and I was like in the front in the shotgun of the car. I had my earbuds in and I was like drifting. I was drifting away half asleep. And then Daphnis and Chloe came on and I had never been exposed to it before. And then I just remember like, like, especially in La Verde du Jour on the first part of the suite two, um, it was just man I was floored and it's like my stomach dropped and like you know when yeah. stuff wells up in your throat a little bit and it's just like I just didn't know what was going on and then like these giant crescendos and these harp lines and everything that was going on it was just amazing Even more, there was so much going on. It was like a good type of sensory overload. It was just, man, it was... <laughs> I'm, I'm getting chills with you just saying that. Wow. I got goosebumps all over again just mm-hmm. hearing that back. It's so powerful. And I remember having those experiences as a teenager and hearing those masterpieces for the first time and ugh, so moving. Let's contrast that story for a moment. Uh, with how our next young black musician on the show came to love and commit to classical music. I'm talking about the percussionist Jeremy Davis from Chino Hills, California, who came on the show back in 2018. He grew up in a family where basketball was a major part of life. And it was a big moment when he moved away from that. Yeah, my brother was my biggest supporter and uh, my coach as well. And so in the sixth grade, when I entered middle school, about uh, 11 years old, I had to choose between the two because doing both just became too, too much and too hard, um, especially to keep up with grades and everything. And so um, actually, I chose music over basketball, which at first, you know, kind of got my brother down, but uh, he was able to get over it. And also he played basketball when he was, you know, growing up too. But in high school, he had a bad leg injury. And so that kind of stopped his basketball hopes. So I think that he really saw himself through me. But um, all in all, I just love music better, and I felt that it was, um, I just had more fun playing music. And also, you know, you meet so many amazing people that, you know, are lifelong friends. And with basketball or any sport, really, there's only like 10 or 15 people on a team that are like your friends. But music, it's just endless, and there's so many different orchestras to be a part of. Let's shift and hear some of the love that he's found for classical music. This is Jeremy Davis at age 17 performing Land by Takatsugu Muramatsu.
Jeremy Davis, 17 years old at the time of that recording, performed Land by Takatsugu Muramatsu. Support for NPR comes from this station and from the Jack Kent Cook Foundation, providing scholarships to high-achieving students with financial need. JKCF.org. And from the Massachusetts Cultural Council, a state agency connecting young people with the arts in schools and in their communities. Learn more at MassCulturalCouncil.org. And from the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, helping NPR advance journalistic excellence in the digital age. From NPR, it's From the Top, celebrating the power of music in the hands of America's kids. Today's Highlights program, in recognition of Black History Month, celebrates some of the fantastic performances young black musicians have contributed to our program over the years. Coming up, a 17-year-old cellist from Cincinnati, Ohio, performs the music of Ader Villalobos. From the Top's host, pianist Peter Dugan, is sponsored by Susan and Gerald Slavitt. My name is Sandra Bailey, Um, I'm 18, and I play the bassoon. Uh, But uh, until now, I have never owned my own instrument. Um, I began playing the bassoon uh, in the seventh grade. Uh, I used a school bassoon, and um, uh, it was great. I loved what I was doing. It was really fun. But... um, my freshman year of high school, everything, everything changed. My dad's a master plumber. My freshman year of high school, he got laid off. So he moved to Las Vegas because um, he thought there was work there. And uh, after three months, we decided we had to go meet up with him. 
So we, we sold everything that we had, and we end up, ended up moving to Las Vegas with three suitcases, which was pretty much insane. This wasn't so unusual for me and my family because we moved all the time. But what was so fantastic about moving was that um, my mom, she set me up at this school called Las Vegas Academy, and I had met this great teacher called uh, Mr. Downey. So they loaned me a bassoon, and I was just off and running. I was in every program I could possibly be in, and everyone around me was either a dance major, theater major, musician. I mean, it's just breathe performing arts. Like, people, they watch Glee, and they think that that's what it is, but this place, it was real. Like, um, on the first day, there was this girl sitting across from me wearing whiskers and singing from Cats. I've never been so happy in all my life. But then the recession hit, and there was no construction work for anyone in Las Vegas, it seemed. Uh, the banks had pulled out, um, and my dad was out of work just like before. And I remember the day he came and spoke to all of us. Well, you know, as a father, you know, we try to, I tried to, you know, maintain a sense of hope. She didn't really express to us, you know, how the move would affect it. But, you know, I felt it, you know, her mother felt it, you know, we all felt it. But being a, a trooper, you know, she kind of buckled down and, you know, did what was necessary. And I think that positive attitude, you know, helped the family, you know, Sandra, to keep going. So um, we all hoped that there'd be work in Chicago. And um, that's where my grandma lives, where we stayed. And so, again, you know, we, like before, we sold everything and we moved north. And um, as I said before, um, I didn't own my own bassoon, so I spent the whole summer without an instrument. And I, I never knew how much I loved playing the bassoon until it was gone. And um, so there was no work, no music, so we just decided, we decided to move back to Atlanta. When I got back to Atlanta, um, the first thing I did was I called my old teacher, Dr. Shelley Unger, and I was just hoping that she would be able to take me back. She's like, I'm in town. I'm like, you're in town. And I was like leaping for joy. She ended up giving me um, her backup bassoon, and, um, and I was back playing in top youth orchestras, wind ensemble, all state, you name it. And then I hear that I could apply, that I could apply to From the Top, which I thought that you had to be some kind of prestigious um, instrumentalist with a producer, you know, had been on Ellen, you know, something crazy. Uh, but I found out that I, I could actually do it, I could apply. So I found out that I got a spot on From the Top um, and that I won um, the Jack King Cook Young Artist Award, which meant big bucks. And you know, all I have to say is, you know how I never had my own bassoon? Well, now I do. Um, for my wonderful family, I'm going to play uh, the first movement of the Sonatine by Alexandre Tansman.
You heard Sandra Bailey perform the first movement of the Sonatine by Alexander Tansman. Christopher O'Reilly was at the piano. I'm Peter Dugan here, along with today's co-host, producer, oboist, and alum of From the Top, David Norville. And together, we are celebrating Black History Month by revisiting performances by fantastic Black young musicians from our archives. David curated the show. So Dave, what drove you to include Sandra, who we just heard? Gosh, you know, her story was so reflective of my own experience uh, in the face of adversity, in the face of scarcity of resources. Um, And, you know, going through that fight of vying for something that you love um, through so many hoops, so many, you know, barriers, so many small battles and things like that. So, I mean, for those reasons, I, I, I thought that her story was one worth celebrating and and reflecting on uh, for this program. Yeah. Well, if Sandra's story touches on a theme that you and many young black musicians relate to, that of overcoming adversity, the next young performer you selected does the same, but with a different theme, that of paying it forward. He's 17-year-old cellist Daniel Dorsey, and he came on the show just last year performing Song of the Black Swan by Hector Villalobos. Jacob Miller is at the piano. That was Song of the Black Swan by Ettor Villalobos, and it was performed by 17-year-old cellist Daniel Dorsey from Cincinnati, Ohio. Jacob Miller was the pianist. You know, uh, Daniel, 
I want to talk about a time when you performed that wasn't quite so intimate. It was actually a concerto performance you had. Now, most young performers have their first soloing experience with maybe a school orchestra or youth orchestra, but not you, man. You went straight to the pros. <laughs> so, yeah, what was that? How did that all come about? Yeah, so I won a concerto competition. It was the Dayton Philharmonic concerto competition back in May of 2017. And then they let me play with uh, the Dayton Philharmonic in October. And you performed with for a very special audience, right? Yeah, I performed in front of uh, middle school and elementary school students. I feel like those school performances can be so powerful for us as the performers. Um, did you Do you feel like it made an impact on you? Yeah, it definitely did because uh, I've never really played, like up to that point, I've never really played in front of like younger kids. I've mostly played in front of like judges for competitions or like other studio members. Right. And uh, that was the first time I played in front of like those kids. And I could tell I made a huge impact on them because uh, after I was done, uh, all the kids just stood up and started cheering. And I wasn't really expecting that. And uh, yeah, I could just tell that like they're really inspired yeah, they, they look at you as like a rock star in that yeah. moment. Um, well, I'm really, really happy to say that you are one of our Jack Kent Cook young artists. Yeah. Um, congrats. And we're so we're so excited about that here at From the Top. How are you hoping to spend that award money? Yeah, so I want to spend it on an, a new cello. And so I the cello I played on is the one I want to spend it on. And uh, like my teachers have always told me that uh, I've been improving so much and uh, that uh, that I should uh, get a new cello because like my level is increasing. And so uh, this is the cello that I've always wanted. I played on it for the uh, concert in front of those kids. And then uh, I switched back to my old cello for a couple months. And then now that I uh, heard that I won the scholarship, like this will help me a lot in being able to purchase this cello. That's so exciting. So this is an instrument that you've, it's sort of been a dream of yours to be able to buy. Now you can do it? Yeah, now I can. <laughs> oh, that's so great. I'm so happy to hear that. And it does sound really beautiful. Your, your tone is amazing on that thing. Thank you. Well, um, congrats on that. And thanks again for that beautiful, uh, really moving performance, Daniel. It was just great. Thank you so much. Daniel Dorsey, 17 years old, from Cincinnati, Ohio. Peter Dugan here, and my co-host today, David Norville, who's both an alum of the program as well as a current producer for From the Top, has curated today's program of all Black performers from our archives to celebrate Black History Month. And Dave, I have so enjoyed the huge variety of perspectives that you've drawn on from the performers on today's show. But the next performer we're featuring is especially unusual, right? Yes, definitely. So soprano, Lauren Michelle. Um, unlike all of the other performers we've heard, this segment um, was when she came back to the show as a professional. She came back with a totally different perspective and, and shared with us through her story um, the different trials and tribulations that came along with, you know, postgraduate, you know, pre-professional life. And I felt mm -hmm. I identified with that in, in so many ways, because that's kind of where I'm at right now, you know, at the <laughs> precipice of my professional career. And, you know, how we, we go through so many different, I guess, adventures trying to figure out how to really get into the field. Um, so I thought this was such a fruitful sort of story and, and adventure to, to share. I'm Lauren Michelle, and that is me definitely at the age of 15 singing on From the Top. That was 15 years ago, kind of hard for me to believe, but I guess I've been pretty much singing ever since. I had the opportunity to go to boarding school at Walnut Hill School for the Arts, and then I spent four years studying voice at the Juilliard School in New York. I didn't want to leap right into a master's program like everyone else seemed to be doing, so I decided instead to trust my instincts and move to Italy. One day I was walking through Piazza Repubblica and there was a man that was playing some type of a Native American flute. And after he finished, I went up to him and I asked him, how do you perform on the street? And he said, well, sing a song for me. Let me hear you sing. 
So I sang O Mio Babino Caro, and when I finished, not only was he applauding, but there were people behind me and around me and the whole entire piazza. There were people sitting in the cafes around in the piazza. They were all applauding. And, I, and he looked at me and he said, that's how you sing on the street. So after that, I performed a lot in the streets of Florence. After my master's, I then spent a couple of really, really difficult years in New York. I just got no after no after no, and people wouldn't even audition me. But luckily, I'm good at making doors where there are walls. So after a colleague insisted I enter the BBC Cardiff Singer of the World competition, I said, okay, I'll shoot for the international stage. So this is one of the most prestigious international competitions for voice. Unlike my Cardiff competitors, I did not have a young artist program or a team of coaches to help me. So I got creative. I entered all these smaller competitions to practice my repertoire. And I could not believe it, but I started to win and place in almost everything I entered. What you're hearing now is me singing Ain't It a Pretty Night by Charles Floyd at the finals of the Cardiff Singer of the World competition. I ended up walking away as a prize winner and I realized that I'm actually not crazy. I can sing. And since then, I've had debuts at Washington National Opera. I've sung at Covent Garden. But today is a very special milestone for me because I'm back at Jordan Hall which is where I've sung my very first operatic role with Walnut Hill. And all these years later, I'm here singing Si Mi Chiamano Mimi from La Boheme by Puccini.
Soprano Lauren Michelle performed Si Mi Chiamano Mimi from La Boheme by Giacomo Puccini. Jung Abong was at the piano. Dave, of course, Lauren is continues this, this line of fantastic black women who were just opera superstars. And mm-hmm. hearing her sing that Puccini is just, uh, it, it chills, you know, chills. Without a doubt. We're going to close out today's Black History Month show with a powerful choral performance. But before we do, I want to thank my co-host today, Mr. David Norville. Dave, thanks for not only being my on-air partner today, but for really helping to make this whole show happen and curating such an amazing spectrum of music and personalities. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I mean, it means the world to be here. Well, what have we got to take us out of the program today? Well, to me, it really wouldn't feel like a true Black History Month celebration without a rousing spiritual. And yes. this chorus that is about to perform for us is from, from the top's hometown, no less. So we have the Boston Children's Chorus under the direction of Anthony Tresek King performing the spiritual, My Soul's Been Anchored in the Lord, arranged by the great Moses Hogan. Today's From the Top is co-produced by Tim Banker and David Norville with music director Megan Swan and production manager Matt Dykeman. Sound design and editing by John Escobar. Archival material produced with music directors Aaron Nolan and Tom Vanieri, along with technical director Barrett Vallette and engineer Chris Rando. From the Top's executive director is Gretchen Nielsen. I'm Joanne Robinson. From the Top is an independent nonprofit organization based in Boston. If you'd like to appear on our program, apply online at fromthetop.org. From the Top is supported in part by an award from the National Endowment for the Arts on the web at arts.gov. Support for NPR comes from this station and from the Massachusetts Office of Travel and Tourism, offering visitors information about the arts, culture, and history of Boston. The journey begins at visitma.com. And from Dignity Memorial, helping families plan life celebrations now so their loved ones are protected later, because nobody should have to plan for a loss while they're experiencing one. Learn more at dignitymemorial.com. This is NPR. Thanks for listening to our podcast. You know, while From the Top is distributed by NPR, it isn't owned by NPR. It's an independent nonprofit, and so we have to do our own fundraising to make it happen. Please consider making a donation to our ongoing entertainment and education programs at fromthetop.org. Support for NPR and the following message come from Sattva. Sattva luxury mattresses are every bit as elegant as the most expensive brands, but because they're sold online, they're about half the price. Visit com slash NPR and save an additional $200. On Wildcard, the new podcast from NPR, you'll hear people like comedian Jenny Slate reflect on their lives. What is something you think about very differently today than you did 10 years ago? Dressing. Like, not salad dressing. I've always loved it and I'll never stop. <laughs> dressing my body. That's all part of the new game show, Wildcard, only from NPR. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Why is everyone so obsessed with traditional wives or trad wives on social media? This week, we're talking about the viral videos of women making marshmallows and mozzarella from scratch and how behind the sheen of calm kitchens and cute fits, there's some interesting pessimism about our modern world. And that's worth digging into. Next time on It's Been a Minute from NPR.